Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Ready to Pop with me, Caroline Foran. This episode is maybe what we consider the big one, we're preparing for labour. We're wondering what the hell we're in store for, what all of the variables could be and how we might prepare. I was definitely an awful lot more anxious about the idea of giving birth before I recorded this episode and for sure a lot more relaxed about it afterwards. I'm joined here by midwife Anya Hennessy. You may know her on Instagram as midwife underscore Anya and she's my expert for this episode to guide us through our upcoming labour experience. So how do home births differ to hospital births? What pain relief is available to us? What happens before, during and after labour. I even asked the question, are we likely to poo ourselves? What signs to act upon? What not to worry about? And so much more. I really, really hope that you find this episode helpful. I'm gearing up now for the big day myself and I'm getting some of my bigger ducks in a row. Packing my hospital bag is next on my list and I've already ordered my car seat and buggy to arrive well in advance, mostly because my dog is just a nervous wreck and I need him to get used to the idea of there being a buggy first, let alone a baby inside that buggy. And I've gone with the Upper Baby Vista 2 travel system with Bella Baby, who I cannot recommend enough for advising you on some of these bigger purchases. They take the stress away entirely because honestly, choosing a buggy on your own, what with all of the conflicting information available online, just might actually be more difficult than choosing a car to buy. Anyhow, definitely go talk to Bella Baby about your next purchases and for now over to midwife Anya. Anya Hennessy, thank you so, so much for joining me on this very important episode of Ready to Pop. Um, and I say important because it's just, it's the crucial point in the journey of, of pregnancy where you are quite literally maybe ready to pop and we're preparing for labour. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely that um, to be asked on and to to speak about this topic because it's obviously it's a big one and it's a it's an important one. Absolutely. Now you are a community midwife, and I also want to reference the fact that you have some, um, I guess I don't know, would you say patients or clients who who may at any moment go into labour and you might have to run, which makes it just all the more realistic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've turned. I've checked in with them, so at the moment they're all okay. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a possibility still. <laughs> oh my God. I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting scared now because I'm 32 weeks, I'm starting 33 weeks in the weekend. And I'm like, I'm, that moment is going to come for me sooner than I've, I've mentally prepared for, but that you're going to reassure me about all of that now, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. You are <laughs> going to be, you're going to feel so empowered and excited after all this. I promise. Oh, thank you. So before we get into all, I've got a lot of questions to hurl at you and we'll just, we'll try and lash through as much information as possible. But can we just give people a little insight into what you do and how what you do differs from, um, cause you're community midwives, so you're not actually in a hospital. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's correct. So um, I am one of the self-employed community midwives that works alongside the HSC home birth services. Um, so basically our service differs from not in the hospital in the sense that we do all of our care in the community, in the woman's home. Uh, the woman has her home birth. Obviously, she gives birth in uh, the safety of, and comfort of her own home. And uh, we provide care then for two weeks post-birth. Um, so that's what I'm doing currently. And then um, I also teach hypnobirthing to expectant parents. 
Okay, I need. I definitely need some of that. We're going to talk about I, hopefully the experience going through the hospital system and if you're in the community system. And um, but to start with, uh, I suppose the goal of this episode is to just to help people prepare mentally um, for for giving birth. And for a lot of people listening, I imagine it will be their first time. But can I start by asking you? Um, do first time mums typically tend to give birth like right on time or later? Because I've heard later. It's really hard to pinpoint that, to be honest. Um, when you hit 37 weeks, we say that, you know, this is the, the safe period for, for you to give birth at any point. And any time kind of between 37 and even up to 42 weeks um, is a normal time frame to give birth. When we talk about your due date, you know, it's it's one day and about 5% of women give birth on their actual due date. So it's really a guesstimate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, we're talking, we're giving you five weeks. And actually some women even go over the 42 weeks, which can be normal. Um, so it's really, really hard to pinpoint that. It can be more common to go over your due date. But as I said, it's not always the case. Okay. And I suppose just to reassure people that, um, you know, some people go before 37 weeks and maybe, um, you know, ideally they wouldn't go until then, but are there any like major, majorly common reasons why a baby would come sooner than it's ready? Preterm birth would be anything uh, earlier than 37 weeks. Again, there's so many reasons and medical situations as to why that could happen in a pregnancy. And again, it's something that we need more research on, um, similar to a lot of things in pregnancy. Um, there's a lot of research that could be done uh with preterm birth there's some correlation to uh the placenta and um to do with that the actual weight of the placenta which could be related to poor diet which um may be related to preterm birth um again preterm birth there they've there's some research out there that suggests that it's actually four to five times more likely if there's an imbalance in the pH of the, the, the vaginal flora. And there's a, there's a really nice study actually that links um, the, the length of the cervix along with a, an imbalance in pH to increase risk of preterm birth. So saying that, I would always tell my clients, um, especially those who are at risk of um, arterial vaginosis, UTIs, thrush, if they get the things like this that are common to them outside of pregnancy, I would always say to take a really good probiotic to actually boost the really good uh, bacterial flora within the vagina to reduce the risks of preterm labour in that sense. Okay. Um, and then is there a certain number of weeks? I know I know. obviously before 37 is considered preterm, but is, is it like from 34 weeks where the likelihood of your baby surviving is extremely high? You know, in recent years, there's been so much progress in uh, neonatal and different medications, different um, machinery that they use. Like there's babies that have been born at 24, 26 weeks and they have thrived and they've survived and um, which is fantastic, you know. So in that sense, the outcomes are so much better nowadays because of the advances in technology. When I am ready to go, when I'm ready to pop myself, what exactly is happening in the womb? There's a couple of different things that are happening as well as in your uterus, but actually your whole entire body. So the very first thing that um, we talk about is actually your hormones. So when we talk about your hormones, there's a change that happens. So the very first hormone we talk about is melatonin. And um, sometimes you hear about people and they take melatonin tablets to help them sleep. Yeah, I do. 
sometimes. This is one thing. Um, melatonin is released uh, in, during darkness. So when the sun goes down, we release melatonin in our skin. And this is what helps to get us ready for bed, which gets us ready for sleep. When that starts to produce, then your oxytocin then starts. And your oxytocin, or some people say it as the love hormone. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is produced when you make love or have sex, whatever way you want to put it. Um, when you hug, you laugh. Um, it's the hormone you need for your contractions and labor. So when you have your melatonin, your oxytocin, and that's why you hear of a lot of women going into labor at nighttime. And actually most babies are born between the hours of 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. for those particular reasons. So when every when your hormones are working, uh, you then have your endorphins. So your natural endorphins is your natural painkiller. And this is what we have to to allow you or to help you cope with the, I suppose, in inverted commas, the pain. But those triggers, it goes back initially to the melatonin. So that's the very first trigger with the hormones. Um, the next point, the, the other changes that happen is the uterine muscles. So the muscles of your uterus, there's loads of different ones. But the ones that we mainly focus on, there's ones that are are circular round ones that go the whole way around and then you've got long ones that pull up so initially when your round muscles relax then your long muscles are free to pull up and this is then when your labor starts and your active labor begins um the other thing then is your baby so there's some studies out there that suggest that when when the baby's lungs are completely matured that helps to trigger labor okay so there's um there's some research out there that suggests well, it could be your baby that actually kicks off your labor. Okay. And the, a lot of those things, maybe you as the mother might not be aware of, you might not be aware of the melatonin um, kind of kicking into gear, but what would be the signs to look out for for you as the, the woman who needs to either call the midwife to come over to the house or get yourself to hospital? So there's a couple of different ones and every woman is different. So that's why we, we educate the women in all the different kinds of signs. So the very first one would be, Uh, what we call a show or like a mucus plug and this relates back to your round muscles when they relax this is when your show usually releases slightly bloodstained or a little bit brownish uh, streaked in it Um, and that basically just means that labor is on the horizon it might not start straight away it might take a couple of days it could take a week but it's a sign that your body is getting ready to start um the next one then is your waters could break at any point i know one of my previous clients um poor thing rang me when she was out shopping downtown and her waters broke oh, God. but um but that's okay is that a case of you know what we see in the movies this massive outpouring or is it just like a trickling or, or does it vary from woman to woman again it varies from woman to woman sometimes a lot of women feel like a pop and then a gush of of like watery fluid um other women women just have this constant little trickle um sometimes you hear women saying god i feel like i'm constantly wetting myself <laughs> but um sometimes it can actually just be their waters so i would always say if you're unsure of if it's normal, if it's not, always check with the hospital and you're always better off going in, um, even if it's just for the reassurance. Um, the third one then are your contractions. So your contractions, they can start at any time. They could start before your waters break. They could start after your waters break. And the big thing with this would be you need to time them. So we need to know the frequency, how often they're coming the pattern and then also the strength so how long they're lasting and depending on 
what pattern and how strong your contractions are will vary according to what stage of labor you're in. And can we can you talk me through the different stages of labor then or active labor, early labor? I've heard of these different things, but I'm not really sure. I just imagine that you're screaming for like 40 hours. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> no, there's no screaming. I know it's, it's so typical. That's what you kind of think of. And that's what the media portrays, isn't it? Like in movies exactly. and programs. That's why you get scared. Absolutely. And it's, it's a woman on her back and she's just screaming the house down and it terrifies women. <laughs> um, and that's not, that's not it. It's not how it has to be or how it is anyway. But with labor, so it's broken up into different stages. So the very first stage we call early labor or sometimes it's referred to as the latent phase. This can go on for hours. For some women, it can happen for days and for the very few, sometimes a couple of weeks. But it's normal. That's the big thing. It's normal. Everybody is different. So what happens in the early stage is that your cervix, it needs to shorten and thin out and then it dilates as well as baby's head comes down the birth canal. So your cervix, if you actually touch the tip of your nose, your cervix starts off by feeling like that. And then if you kind of purse your lips a bit and then feel your lips, how Mm -hmm. soft that feels. That's the difference. That's what we want. We want it to go from firm like your nose to soft like your lips during this phase. And we want it to thin out as well. So first it starts off quite thick. So if you actually feel your forefinger, like the base of your forefinger where it meets your knuckle, you feel how thick that is. And then we want it to become thin like the little webbed part in between your forefinger and your thumb. Okay. So there's a lot of work that your cervix has to do before it even starts to dilate. And this can be the longest part of your labor. So when we talk about your contractions, the frequency, the strength, they completely vary. They could come, you could have one every 30 minutes. You could go through a phase of an hour and they could be coming every five minutes and then they stop. They could last 20 seconds, 45 seconds. They're kind of, they're very sporadic and all over the place. It stops and it starts. And it's, as I said before, it's completely normal. And I always say to my women, there is eventually a light switch that happens and that light switch will go. And then your, your contractions, they're coming maybe every two minutes. They're lasting every 60 for 60 seconds. You can nearly predict when the next one is going to come. And at this point, then your baby's coming further down through the pelvis, down the birth canal. Your cervix is completely thin, like that little bit in between your finger and your thumb. And your cervix is dilating now. So it could be about three, four centimeters. That is active labor. Okay. So active labor would be maybe a little bit quicker than early labor. Exactly. So once you're in active labor and you're having regular, frequent, strong contractions, your labor will, it should progress. So at this stage, this is when you would be going into hospital. This is where you'd be admitted into the, the labor ward. Or if you're at home, you'd be ringing your midwife to come out to see you. If you're at home and you're, you, you know that you're in um, early labor, are you waiting until, like, should, should you be looking out for signs of dilation before you go in? Or would you go in and be sent home? Or, or how, do you, how do you know when to act? So this, I suppose, with the dilation, the number of centimeters, and it's not all, it's, sometimes it's not always uh, focused on centimeters. I know women particularly are are quite um they really want to know like how many centimeters am i it's very common for women to go in they can go into the assessment unit they may be may checked by uh, the midwife there the baby will be checked and if it's a case where you're still in early labor that's absolutely fine and they depending on where you live 
how far you are from the hospital, they might say, like, everything is fine. You can go home and wait a little longer at home for active labor to then start to progress. Every woman is more comfortable at home. You've got your own bed, your shower, your own food. You're more relaxed. So definitely, I think the longer or the more you can cope at home uh, is so much better. And then you go in to the hospital as soon as you feel like you need um, either if you wanted more pain relief or you felt like it was progressing more, the contractions were becoming a lot stronger. So, yeah, I think and I, I always say you have to listen to your body as well. Yeah. OK. Um, and even before you get to that point where you're in either early labor or active labor, contractions are potentially going to be something you've experienced. Um, so can you explain to me what Braxton Hicks contractions are? And is it normal to start having practice contractions in the lead up? Like what, when for me would be considered normal to start having the odd contraction? Usually on your first pregnancy, you would find you would feel them a little bit later on in your pregnancy. So usually around it could be 36, 37 weeks with women who maybe it's their second or it's just their subsequent baby they might feel it a little bit earlier in pregnancy um braxton hicks some people refer to them as false labor pains or practice labor pains i don't i would never call them false because they're doing something they have to be doing something and especially if you're feeling them and the whole point of this i i always say body is getting ready it might not be in the throes of labor but something is happening i.e when you are feeling those tightenings those kind of cramping in the lower parts of your abdomen they're your rain muscles relaxing so it is they're doing something it's a case that it's you're obviously just in the, the latent phase the early stage of labor um with when you're feeling those kind of, of cramps and like I said before with Braxton Hicks sometimes they could be sporadic they could be lasting different lengths one might last 20 seconds one might last 60 seconds there's no pattern to it and um, so that's how we know that it's not active labor okay and my consultant also said to me that with with Braxton Hicks sometimes it's linked to dehydration or if you change position in the bed it should relieve it and if that's not happening then maybe it is more a case of of getting closer to actual labor is that right yeah definitely I like especially the lead up to your labor I, I would say to all my clients you want to be taking in at least two to three liters of water to stay hydrated um when it's active labor no matter what position you're in they're not they're going to be there you're going to feel contractions Mm -hmm. sometimes if you're walking around and you feel them you think oh gosh there's i feel something there they're tightening they're cramping and then maybe you go for a lie down and they completely disappear then it wouldn't be active labor um one thing i always say is if you feel things happening or starting at night time because we know according to the hormones we know that labor can start at night time if it's a case it gets you know 10 o'clock 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night time go to bed have a rest and if it's a case you wake at two or three in the morning and no matter what you do your contractions continue then it's more likely labor and um, is it possible to describe what a contraction feels like or and is it what i think what i've heard before is like a quite a bad period pain or is is that very much not the case well, I personally don't have kids, so I haven't actually experienced one. <laughs> so I can only empathize with women. Um, it basically, it starts off like a cramping and a tightness. And you feel your whole abdomen just become quite tight and hard and firm. And then as it dies down, then it gradually releases and it goes soft again. Um, some women feel a lot of lower back pain and discomfort. You may feel some pressure on your pelvis, on your hips. Um, 
so it and it varies again it can vary from woman to woman as to what it feels like and um, god some women are so e- so lucky in the sense that they're like oh i'm not sure if i'm in labor and then they come in and you're like yeah you're in throat labor how are you not wow. you know in more discomfort you look so comfortable in a way but um it definitely it does feel like because your muscles are, are tightening and they're pulling up and actually pushing baby down so um yeah i would say like a like a really bad period cramp <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um i want to talk first about um the hospital experience and then i'm going to ask you about home birth so just to give people an idea you know i even even my husband was saying like what do we do like do do i just like leave the car outside and go in with you or do i let you off and, and go find parking what happens when you arrive at the hospital assuming you are actually ready to go yeah so i uh, it's that's a tricky one at the moment especially in the current climate at the moment, their partners are not allowed into the hospital unless you are actually admitted to the labour ward in labour. So um, usually what happens at the moment is, unfortunately, I know it's, it's not ideal, but you may be going in on your own. Um, if it's a case that you're in a lot of, a lot of discomfort, a lot of pain, you can um, call for someone at the front desk and they'll be able to come out with a wheelchair for you and typically what happens is you would go up to the assessment unit first and you'll be seen by a midwife and she would actually be able to determine if you are in active labor um if you are then you'd be admitted to the labor ward and then your partner would be able to come up um however depending again if it's the early stage of labor the midwife might suggest you could go home but again that depends on how far away from the hospital you live or equally it might be a case okay well maybe just go for a little walk use the birthing ball and we'll reassess after four hours and in that sense in that space of time active labor would have kicked in outside of this whole covid19 and things like that your partner would be going in with you even to the assessment unit uh, and things like an induction is that a case of happen that happens be, and you know that it's going to happen you're going in for induction because you're 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 gone over your time and you just need it needs to happen induction induction of labor um happens for an, a wide wide range of reasons um an induction of any kind of intervention pregnancy or labor there has to be a firm medical reason to be interfering or intervening within a pregnancy or a labor or a birth. Um, a lot of hospital policies vary um, from hospital to hospital. The majority of evidence out there would suggest once you've got a healthy mom and a healthy baby to actually go to 14 days over your due date is safe and it's evidence-based. Um, and like I said, there would have to be a proper medical reason to intervene or interfere in a pregnancy or birth. I mean, it's good that we have an induction pathway there for the women and the babies that need it. And with an induction, you would be given a date to actually go in. So you would know when your your induction starts. Saying that though, it doesn't mean that you'll actually give birth on that day. Sometimes the induction process can take a couple of days until you actually give birth. And then I guess the, some women are electing for um, C-sections and, and in a lot of cases, women who have C-sections, it's, it's, it happens in the moment that they've had to go for an emergency section. So is, are there any major reasons why an emergency section would have to happen? So um, there again, for a C-section, there has to be a, a medical reason for it, um, both whether it's an elective or an emergency. Um, 
when we talk about emergency sections, um, there again, there's a wide range of reasons. It could be a case where um, things just are not progressing in labour and it may be what we call an obstructed labour. So something is happening inside the uterus and with baby that you're not dilating. It could be related to baby's position. If there is any problems with baby's heart rate, um, that we're not happy with, the doctors or the midwives aren't happy with. It could be a sign that um, they're not getting enough oxygen uh, during labour. So that would be um, another one to, to go for a C-section. Again, there's a lot of different reasons and sometimes it could be a combination of things why you would have a C-section. But definitely in labour, it, um, it would what we call it an emergency C-section. Okay. Talk to me about pain relief options um, when you're in hospital. So we've all heard of the epidural. Um, what else is there and how does the epidural work? And is there a case of some people not being suitable for epidural or is there a certain amount of time before, or a certain number of centimetres dilated before you're given one, just so we know what to expect? I think um, when we're talking about pain relief options, I think it's really good to actually bring it right back to the very beginning before introducing any kind of medications. You need to look at what kind of coping strategies that you're using. You know, there's so many things like gentle birth, hypnobirthing, there's massage techniques, you have the likes of TENS machines, water or hydrotherapy, you've got aromatherapy, all these different things. It's all about keeping you relaxed. And it again, it's bringing it back to the very, very beginning when we're talking about the physiology and your hormones, you want your body to stay relaxed so that everything can actually progress as it's supposed to and that your natural endorphins have a chance to kick in and keep up with the contractions as they're progressing. Um, When we're talking then about, I suppose, the actual medicinal side of um, pain relief options, you've got pethidine is the first one so you've got um, which is an opiate it's an injection that can make you quite sleepy sometimes it makes you a bit nauseous um it can be really good for the early stages of labor or if you were going through an induction there is you also have the gas and air or laughing gas that some people probably know about more of it off um, you inhale this sometimes people say that if it makes you feel a bit drunk and dizzy but you'd actually breathe it in during contractions and the effects of this is quite short lasting in comparison to the pethidine the pethidine injection can actually remain in your system as well as baby system for quite some time afterwards when we're talking then about an epidural um, there's I suppose this idea that an epidural takes all of the pain away and it's not always 100% that way unfortunately um, an epidural is basically an injection done by your anaesthetist and it's done into the, your lower back and what happens is, is you're basically numb from the waist down so you might be able to feel touch but you sh- shouldn't feel pain with an epidural there's no time limit per se With an epidural, you would be in the bed, so you wouldn't be able to walk around. In that sense, there's a risk of it slowing down labour if you get it too early. Um, With an epidural, there's also an increased risk of instrumental births, so babies born by the forceps or the suction cup. Um, But saying that, it's great if you wanted a really good sleep, if you had just been in labour for hours upon hours and you needed a rest. Mm -hmm. Um, When we talk about you know is it too late to get an epidural it takes time to actually cite it and then it takes time for the medication to work so sometimes it can take about 20 minutes for the anesthetist to actually get get the right space in your spine and then it could take another 20 minutes for it to actually work so I mean I don't know how many times I've been with a woman in labor and 
which, you know, the anesthetist is just about to start and you kind of looking at her and she's kind of sitting up or, you know, you can, I suppose as a midwife, you kind of, you get to know women's sounds and looks. And I'm kind of thinking, do you, do you need to push? Yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, uh, yeah, I feel a lot of pressure. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, you know, we don't have time for an epidural here. You're going to have a baby. So in that sense, it's too late. <laughs> Talk me through a home birth. So I, one of my very best friends is, is a week apart from me and she is going the home birth route. And I suppose it, in my ignorance, I would hear that and think, well, is that not so much more riskier than a hospital birth? But I know that I'm wrong in that thought. A home birth is a safe option for all low-risk women. Um, so our service, it's the, the HSC home birth service. It's a free service to all women who are deemed eligible. Um, there's a really great research that, that was done over in the UK. It's called the Birthplace Study. And they basically looked at about 64,000 women giving birth in different um, places. So home births, hospital, and also um, different birthing centres. So they found with first-time mothers, there was a slight increased risk to baby's health um, at a home birth. But the differential it was so small that it actually it didn't support the fact that the hospital would be safer. Um, and then they found with second or subsequent births, um, they found no difference in the risks with mums or babies in that sense. Um, the transfer rates will be higher now with first-time mums. Our, our rates are about 50%. But those transfer rates, when you look at them, it's the reasons for them would be the likes of request for an epidural or there has been no progress in labour as opposed to those kind of scary emergencies that you would hear more of. So, um, and it's, you know, it's, I think it's sad the fact that home birth, particularly in Ireland, not a lot of women know about it. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's understood what it is and what the service is. And what are the benefits of a home birth in your opinion? Um, so with, with our service, you have uh, continuity of care. So every woman has their own primary midwife and you see the same midwife throughout your pregnancy. She's there for your birth. And then you also get two weeks of postnatal care with that midwife in your home. Um, we do all the visits in the home setting. Um, you have whoever you want at your birth, your partner, if you want your mom, your friend, whoever you want mm-hmm. is there for you as well. You know, our appointments aren't rushed, so we take as much time as we need. I don't think I've ever done an appointment that's lasted less than an hour with my women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an individualized care plan. So, you know, we look at what the individual woman wants. Does she want a water birth or who she wants with her as a support there? Um, I'm saying that then for women, if they wanted a water birth, they can have that as well. I think it's particularly the continuity of care for me is the biggest thing in a service like this, because I know every woman's blood pressure. I know every woman's baby's heartbeat and what's normal. So any kind of deviation from that normal, I know, okay, we need to refer in. Um, sometimes when you see different midwives or different doctors at your appointments, they might not pick up on something as much as I would because I know what is your normal. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And when you mentioned their transfer rates, do you mean where you will have to transfer someone into a hospital if something goes awry? Yeah. So at every home birth, we have um, you have two midwives, and we all we have all the equipment that we would need in um, any sort of emergency. So we would have fluids, we have cannulas, needles, we have medication, and we also have an ambulance on standby for every home birth. So. There's a lot of different reasons for transfer. Um, as I said, the more common reasons when you look at our transfer rates, they're more common for um, if a woman is requesting an epidural, okay. if there is no progress in labour, or if the woman's waters break and there's what we call meconium. So meconium is a sign that baby's done a, a poo inside. So um, we transfer for those reasons. They're the more common reasons that we would transfer Okay, I want to ask you about an episiotomy. Is that a very common? And can you just explain what that is, I suppose, for anyone who is, I'm sure anyone who's pregnant has heard of it and is terrified. <laughs> yeah, it's that's, it's kind of one thing that a lot of women have said, said to me before about episiotomy. Um, again, same with induction, same with cesarean section. There has to be a medical reason for an episiotomy to happen. So an episiotomy is a cut down below, um, close to your perineum. So the more common reasons you would, some, you know, it would be recommended to have an episiotomy is during an instrumental birth. So if baby's being born by the forceps or the suction cup, or if maybe baby's head is crowning and suddenly their heart rate goes down and we need, we need actually to expedite the birth. Um, there are more common reasons for episiotomy to happen. I was, you know, I was actually just looking up the the stats on this, the recent, the most recent ones. It's averaging nationally about sixteen point three percent, but wow. it varies from hospital to hospital. Um, different studies would say different things, and an ideal rate would be between five to ten percent. So actually, our rates nationally are quite high for an episiotomy. Um, and I suppose just for anyone as well, there's a there's a great website. It's called bumptobabes.ie. Sorry, bump to the number two babe.ie. And you can actually click into each individual hospital and you can look at their statistics um, for everything from episiotomy, cesarean section, instrumental births. So you can actually have a look at that specific hospital where you're booked into and see what their numbers are. Um, so, yeah. Okay, this is a question that I'm really taking one for the team on, but is it a given? Am I going to poo myself pushing? <laughs> Do you know what? I was booking a new client there today and we had the exact same conversation. Um, this is going to sound really weird, but I love seeing it. <laughs> Every time I say that, it sounds so bizarre. Um, hi, yes. <laughs> to be okay. honest, yes, you will. Um, basically, when that happens, 
your baby's head is coming down the birth canal and it's pressing against your back passage. So if there is anything in there, it's going to come out. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, for, I suppose for a midwife, it's a sign that like you're nearly there. Your baby's literally about to be born. But um, yeah, do you know what? In the throes of it, you're not going to be thinking of it because you're going to feel your baby's head coming down and you're going to be so focused on birthing your baby you're not going to think about it okay <laughs> promise I promise what happens the minute the baby comes out so the minute baby's born then um baby is given straight to you and and we do what's called skin to skin so baby is directly up on your chest and a blanket is put over baby and sometimes a hat by doing skin to skin it helps to regulate their temperature because they've been inside you for nine months so they've been at the perfect temperature and then all of a sudden they're out into the open and a room with no clothes on so we need to regulate their temperature and the best way to do that is skin to skin um the other thing that we do is what's called delayed cord clamping so we leave baby's umbilical cord attached and by doing this they actually get between 80 to 100 mils of extra blood through the placenta through the umbilical cord and this actually helps to increase their oxygen it increases their iron supply and it helps to stabilize their blood pressure so usually we would leave that and um, let them have all their their lovely blood and how long do you do skin to skin for so it's recommended to do uninterrupted skin to skin for the very first hour after birth after you've done your your hour of skin to skin like is it is it natural then for feeding to happen if you're breastfeeding yeah so as soon as baby's born their their sucking reflex is at its strongest straight after the birth so some babies latch on straight away as soon as they're born and, and they suckle at the breast some take a little bit longer um but usually yeah straight away and then when would the baby get taken off for any like checks uh, to make sure everything's okay and obviously get a little bit cleaned up maybe? Mm. So um, like I said before, ideally there should be uninterrupted skin to skin for the very first hour. And then after that, that's when they would do all the head to toe checks, check 10 fingers, 10 toes, check baby's weight um, and do all, all those kind of measurements and that. So um it should be an hour after the birth because you want you want a chance to like you know it's yeah. the first time you're meeting your baby you want to bond with them and and things like that um i suppose in between that time then as well um you'd be waiting for your placenta to come and then also the midwife would be checking to see if you would need any stitches okay and um i'll ask you about the placenta now in a second but is there is there the same sense of urgency for skin to skin than with the partners say with my husband like how, how how soon would he want to have that embrace to get that, that those hormones going he can do it whenever he wants whenever whenever you want to hand baby over um sometimes if uh we'll say if a woman is getting any kind of stitches for argument's sake after the birth maybe she's know wants to focus a little bit more or um you know at that point they can you can hand over baby to your partner they can do skin to skin straight away um it's any time really and then even with um any women who've had a cesarean section sometimes after a cesarean section as well when the doctors are kind of finishing everything up the midwife can bring baby and dad out to another room and even at that point dad can do skin to skin and um, while they're waiting for mum to come back out of, of theatre which is great I mean I think it's so important for dads to get that bond and that skin to skin equally as much as the mums 
Absolutely. Um, and so when the baby comes out, you're not done. You then have to birth the placenta. That's Please tell me that's nowhere near as challenging as giving birth to the baby. There's no bones in the placenta, first of all. So okay. it's all soft. <laughs> um, so with your placenta, um, God, there's different ways you can birth it. So some there's there's what we call active stage or active management or physiological management. I won't go into the ins and outs of it, but um, usually what you would feel is... Um, the start of some cramping and more tightenings again not the same extent as your labor ones but they do start up again and that's just a sign that okay the placenta is separated and it's it's ready to birth and normally you um it's a couple of pushes then and depending on if you're in the bed the midwife might give a little pull down just to help guide it out and um, if you're in an upright position if you're squatting or on all fours you can give a push and the placenta can come out that way so it's definitely definitely a lot easier than baby <laughs> um it's uh but yeah you still feel quite a lot of pressure as it's being born and um, but then the relief afterwards is every woman is just like oh god thank god that's done Okay. And if you were in hospital and everything went fine um, and you had a vaginal d- delivery, how long, how, how soon would you expect to be discharged? So again, this, this varies from hospital to hospital and it depends on the service that they provide. And then it also depends on where you're living. So um, for argument's sake, I know some different hospitals, if they, if you're under um, domino midwives or if you're in um, a, a certain catchment area, if everything is normal, you could be home within 12 to 24 hours of having baby um, with, a, with a, normal, a normal birth. With cesarean section, it might be a case where you could be in anywhere between 24 to 72 hours. That would be, that's uh, depending on how you're recovering after the, the cesarean and after um, having baby. So yeah, I mean, some women, yeah, they could be home after 12 hours. Okay, amazing. Because you just want to get back to your comfort, I suppose. But then for me, in my head, I'm also like, I want to make sure that I'm surrounded by experts for as long as possible in case I'm like freaking out and be like, I don't even know how to hold the baby. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, you will. And you know what? You have this maternal instinct and it's really bizarre how it kicks in without you realizing it I think you know and you, you know you should give yourself a bit more credit like you will you'll be fine and every woman with their first baby is in exactly the same position as you and they've all done it and you're you'll do it as well you'll be great oh thank you I want to ask you about um birth plans so there seems to be an awful lot of uh, content around birth plans these days and um I I don't have one and I think I'm the kind of person who I I would be maybe an anxious person and some people who are anxious would maybe plan to the nth degree uh to to, to feel better feel more in control whereas I in something like this would feel like if I plan the chances of it going to plan are probably slim so and especially when mother nature when mother nature is involved my only plan really is is just to try and um you know obviously uh, to, to to look after myself and to go to get through the experience with me and baby safe it, do, do, do I should I have a birth plan or is it okay do you think there's a lot of pressure for people to have you know I want this kind of music playing I want this like is are you setting yourself up for being potentially a little bit more stressed out if it can't all work out the way you had envisioned mm. I think, first of all, it's definitely good to be open-minded um, and particularly with your first. You know, this is the first time your body is doing it. It's the first time you're going to experience what labor and birth 
feels like. So I do think it's good to be open-minded. Um, when I talk about birth plans anytime on my hypnobirthing courses, I, we always refer to it as a birth proposal because a birth plan, it comes across as very set in stone and it has to be like this. And labor and birth, it's not like that, unfortunately. We don't know how things are going to pan out. Um, I think it's it'd be good to have a bit of an idea in the sense that like, you know, if you want what we were just talking about, delayed cord clamping, you know, if you want that and make sure baby gets all the blood, things like that, you want skin to skin with baby. And if you can't, you want your husband to have it. Um, if you want to breastfeed, um, little things like that, it's absolutely fine to, to be able to, or to put down, I would like music playing or um, if I can use the shower, if, if you wanted to use the birth pool, if that was available. Um, so it's little things that, you would like to, but then also be aware that it's not always 100% going to be like that. So that's why we say we're proposing these kind of things, but yet aware that things can change and it's to be um, open-minded, as I said before, about, about labour and birth. Absolutely. Um, you've mentioned your hypnobirthing course and that's something that I definitely uh, plan to make some time for as I, I kind of entered the, the final the final stages before I give birth how important is that and I mean really what what is the goal of hypnobirthing and and I guess can it work in tandem with other more um traditional interventions or or do you think that it means that you maybe don't even need other interventions so um hypnobirthing is it, it's taking your mind into consideration and I think particularly with labor and birth we neglect it quite a lot and we don't realize that the effect that our mind can have on a birthing body. Um, hypnobirthing, some, I don't think people, again, similar with the home birth, I don't think people understand what it is. Um, it's not this crazy hippie, yeah. you know, giving birth <laughs> in a field type thing. It's really, really simple. It's about using your mind. It's positive affirmations, positive birth stories. It's learning. It's actually teaching your body how to stay relaxed and how to stay calm. It's learning particular breathing techniques that you use in different stages of labor. But on top of that, it's actually a learning course to learn what ha what's happening in your body. And then if something does go in an une unexpected turn, how to manage that, how to cope with it, the questions to ask. And then a big part of it is, you know, you practice a lot with your partner. So there is different um, relaxation techniques that you practice together so that, you know, your partner is actually helping you in all this. Because so many times, you know, partners come in, they like, I feel like a spare part. I don't know what to do because mm -hmm. I can't have the baby. <laughs> I'm just kind of sitting there watching her. Whereas hypnobirthing is actually, it's a partnership and um, you need that support during your labor. And I saw it's also we actually have someone there to say like you can do this you can do this um we always hear the negative stories in in childbirth I, I we don't hear enough of the nice positive ones and they completely outweigh the negative um and it's just about immersing yourself into that positive mindset um with hypnobirthing and the more you practice the better it will work and particularly with uh specific breathing techniques it sounds bizarre because we breathe every day but it's to link breathing techniques with certain visualizations to actually help you and to listen to your body, to actually listen to your instinct as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so important to, to tune in and connect with your body when it's doing like probably the biggest physical task it will ever take on. And to, to have that awareness will only stand to you, I imagine. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And I do, I encourage a lot, like, well, I encourage all my, my home birthing mums to do it because, you know, we don't have the, the benefit of epidurals at home. Uh, obviously, we can transfer if they want want one. But um, women opting for home birth, you know, an epidural isn't in their mindset. It's not in their, their birth proposal, shall we say. So they're looking at different techniques, such as like the hypnobirthing, to actually help them in that sense. And, you know, with hypnobirthing, there's no screaming. Like if a woman wants to scream, I don't mind. But you find that a woman has so much more control because she's so much more tuned into her body with the hypnobirthing. And, you know, recently, um, back in May, I remember one of my women, you know, she was in the pool and she was, she was breathing and she turned around to me and she said, do I need to switch into what's called down breathing? What you do is when your baby's actually about to be born. And I just said, you know, what do you want to do? If that's what you feel like you should be doing, then then you do it. You listen to it. And she said to me afterwards, that's all she needed to do. And then she focused on her breathing. And um, I, don't, I don't think she made any sound, to be honest. And then all of a sudden, she just this baby appeared in the water and it was just absolutely gorgeous. But, um, you know, there this whole image again in the media and the movies of a woman screaming her head off, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be like that. And that's not what birth should be. Well, that's very reassuring. Um, I want to ask you about things that we need to be maybe a little bit mindful of in the first few days post-birth. Um, so there's certain things. I remember my friend telling me um, that she was in the shower. Or maybe she was still in hospital, but like a, a blood clot or something fell out. But she, she got a fright and thought it was like an, an organ or something. So like how how normal is that? And what, what should be aware of? And what should we not panic about? Yeah, oh, that can be normal. Um, with blood loss in particular, um, you know, I always say to women, okay, if they tell me, you know, I passed quite a large big blood clot like that in the shower, uh, you have to go back, okay, what were you doing before you had a shower? Was it a case where you've been in the bed for the past four to six hours and you haven't moved? Did you really, did you have a full bladder? Have you been breastfeeding constantly? These kind of things will impact your blood loss. Um, so definitely, while you do need to rest, definitely rest but even if it's just getting up out of the bed and going and getting a drink and going back to the bed that really just light movement because gravity is going to help get rid of all that blood loss and blood loss after birth it can be totally normal for anywhere between two weeks four weeks and for some women it can last up to six weeks and it basically it reduces as the days go on so it starts to go like a, a heavy period and then it goes like a light period But sometimes, particularly breastfeeding moms, if they've had a really heavy night or a really heavy day of breastfeeding, their blood loss can increase a little bit because your uterus is contracting when you breastfeed. And that's why you bleed a little bit heavier. But if that happens, you keep an eye to it. Usually, it would start to reduce again. And then after a couple of hours, it's absolutely fine. If you're passing blood clots that are the size of your palm, or if it's literally trickling down your leg, straight back into hospital if you're at home or if you're in the hospital you call a midwife straight away okay um and definitely stock up on those enormous canoe like maternity pads oh yeah the gorgeous ones definitely (laughs) don't be getting those tiny little panty liners no way you want the big ones the real like the proper nappy kind of ones <laughs> oh god they're they're so glamorous um and come here would you have a b- blood loss vaginally with a c-section no yeah you will yeah okay. it's totally normal 
um, with a C-section, you'll find that that blood loss actually stops quite, it stops sooner um, in comparison to a vaginal birth. But um, yeah, no, you would still bleed um, vaginally with a C-section. And then I suppose before we wrap up, um, a lot of this feels, might feel to women like it's kind of out of your hands. You've got to let nature take over. You just got to be patient and wait and, and trust and go with it. But is there anything we can we can do in advance to help um, such as I think a perineal massage I'd heard about what 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 general pre-labor tips or things do you think make make it a little bit easier well, from kind of around 36 weeks is when I would go through with my clients and um, things to help prepare them so you're talking about first of all your diet so as I said before you really want to be drinking two to three liters of water because you're going to you want to stay hydrated on top of that you want to look at your diet so increasing certain oils in your diet the likes of olive oil rapeseed oil uh, nuts avocados really healthy fats to actually help moisturize your insides and, and your skin um, other things would be uh, raspberry leaf tea would be a real popular one for women to start drinking and you can actually start raspberry leaf tea from 32 weeks you can take one cup a day that helps to actually relax and contract the muscles around your uterus um, dates as well so actually six dates a day from 36 weeks some research suggests that it actually helps to ripen your cervix and it reduces the likelihood of needing an induction of labor and also it shortens the length of your labor like like the, the fruit yeah yeah i okay. i can't stand them <laughs> absolute absolute hypocrite here telling women to eat dates and i don't eat them myself but yeah six dates a day Okay. Um, from 36 weeks I always get uh, my women to do certain exercises so I always encourage women to look at spinning babies and also what's called the miles circuit so they're really really simple really light exercises and the idea is that they help to release ligaments around your uterus and your pelvis so it helps to um, get baby into a really nice position for labor and um, light walks um, if you're using, if you've got a, one of those yoga balls or birth balls, by sitting on them at night time as opposed to slouching on the couch can help as well because you want to create as much space for baby in there as well. Um, and then of course you've got the perineal massage. So with perineal massage, you can start from 36 weeks again. So even just a little kind of lubricant, even like a coconut oil or something, and just your your thumb and your forefinger, just probably best to do it on the toilet because you've got easier access or if you wanted your partner to do it, that's absolutely fine as well. Um, and it's just literally a really light massage. So it's actually helping to bring the blood flow to that area. And um, it's helping with uh, the elasticity in that, in the muscles. Um, and then, of course, your breathing, your positive affirmations. Even if someone hasn't been doing hypnobirthing, I would still encourage to work on breathing techniques and with positive affirmations and just surround yourself with positive birth stories. There's so many out there. Um, and that's what you need to be listening to in the run up to your labor and your birth. You're so right. I mean, like I, people, um, I don't know if they feel like they're better off knowing the worst case scenario. Maybe they feel like they can cope better. But I feel like we only hear about the bad stories. And I I really want with this episode in particular, I mean, women are doing it. There's one born every minute is what they say. So like it's 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 we were, we're built to do it. We're made to do it. But yet we still are scared. So you've you've seen so many women give birth in, in different ways. Like what what can you say to really reassure women who are just getting a little bit scared now as they approach their their own ready to pop moment? You know what? It's it's completely about mindset. And like I said, we don't give enough credit to actually what's going up on in our mind. And I sat down with so many women and there could be the ever so slightest little emotional or psychological block that's stopping things from happening. 
and it is about your mindset and your perception on something and um i think the best thing i can say is you know i had one woman there last year and she was absolutely 100% home birth this is going to happen and the outcome of it in the end was she had a hospital birth and ended up an emergency cesarean section and now herself and baby were absolutely fine and I looked after them for the two weeks afterwards and I sat down with her after and I said you know how do you feel that went and she said do you know what she was I was dreading the hospital but I would do it again and the fact that she initially was 100% home birth and ended up with a complete, the, the, the furthest opposite you can get from a home birth in a cesarean section. But she said that she had a good experience and the fact that she would go back and she'd do it again in the hospital. That's mm. the biggest thing. So it, it doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to have a vaginal birth to have a good experience. That's not it at all. A lot of women have cesarean sections and they have positive experiences, whether it's at home or in a hospital, it's about your mindset. And I think when we tap into that and we give the attention that that needs, it, it, it changes everything. Thank you so much. And if people are interested in working with you or interested in learning more about home births, where, where should we direct them? You can go on to communitymidwives.ie. So first of all, that will give you a list of all the, the community midwives working with the home birth service uh, around the country. Um, I'm on Facebook and uh, under Anya Hennessy Midwife. And I'm also on Instagram as at midwife underscore Anya. And then there's also the website, which is ahmidwifery.com. Um, so you can get me on any of them if you wanted to learn any more about uh, home birth or wanted any information on the service and then equally about any uh, hypnobirthing. Amazing. Anya, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I just feel like I'm going to be listening to this over and over again as the next few weeks come upon me. Um, so thank you for sharing all of your expertise and your wisdom. And hopefully those women who are about to go into to labour have a lovely experience with you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.